All right, well, this time, kindergarten through fifth grade, exit uh, stage left with Michael and Heather. And for those of you not in kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, though you want to leave, you have to stay. Chad, you can't leave that quickly. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. 1 Corinthians, for, uh, we'll be studying 1 Corinthians 7 today. Finishing up 1 Corinthians 7, joy to the world. We can move on to 1 Corinthians 8, taking care of our liberties. But today we're going to finish up 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to be in verses 8 through 40. And as they're leaving, I'm going to begin reading because there, there's a lot here to read. I think there's something sweet about hearing the word of the Lord read aloud. And so we're going to cover uh, 8 through 40 today to the best of my ability. So, but I, Paul says, But I say to the, to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain, even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, but that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, a husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able to also become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Anybody have that verse read at their wedding? No, probably not. Just wondering. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they do not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, and she may be holy, 
both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure. Here's the point. Undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her to marriage will do better. A wife is bound to as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. That is a loaded passage. I tried to get somebody else to come preach, but they wouldn't. Shocker. No, I'm just kidding. I don't mind handling the, the tough passages. What in the world is going on here? Well, I, I want to say, first of all, obviously, you start talking about these things, as we've said, there's a lot of differing opinions out there. You ask 10 people, you're going to get 10 different answers about what these passages say. I, I'm, I'm giving you, to the best of my ability, uh, what I believe the Lord says here in these passages. If you have an opinion that differs, okay, I still love you. I, I'm not, I don't have a corner on truth. I don't have a corner on the market. I'm not, I'm not omniscient. I, I do believe that, that it, there are some key truths here that, that, that help us understand this whole passage, and I don't want us to miss those, and that's what I, I want us to, to see today. And, and if, you, if I was to share my heart here, my heart is always, and, and we talked about this this Friday night a little bit, my heart is always to hold, I, I want us to be a people that hold marriage in high regard. If you're married, treasure that marriage. If you're married today, do everything you can to protect that marriage. Do everything you can to make that thing last. I, I, I'm not so naive. We live in a sinful world. I, I deal with the effects of, of sin on marriages and, and, and individuals every single day. I, I, I speak, to, it seems like on a weekly basis, I, I, I'm dealing with something. And, and guess what? We're, we're all affected by sin. We all make sinful decisions. We all get in situations that we, don't, that we think, we can't do anything about the past. Hear me, my heart is for us moving forward. I, I can't do anything to change any of your pasts. But what I would encourage us with is moving forward, let's try to do everything possible. My heart would be do this. If you don't hear anything else today, do everything in your power to make your marriage last. I believe that would be the heart of God. Are we going to fall short? Yes. Are we going to make mistakes? Yes. Are, are, are people going to make do things to us that cause us to kind of sit there and have to pick up the pieces? We are. And I pray that we would be a church that would deal graciously in those situations. D divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. It's, it's not the worst sin in the world. And there are two challenges for us at a church. Number one, the challenge is to water truth down so that marriage means nothing. And we become casual with our marriages and we become casual. Oh, it's just divorce. It's just this. It's just that. It's never just that. That's one fault. The other fault is, is that we, people who have gone through divorce is that we treat them as if they're, they're, they have something wrong with them. That's sinful too. 
And, and we as a people have to learn how to walk through that. I, I, I was talking with a guy Wednesday, and, and, and his wife uh, filed for divorce, and, and, and he just called me. He says, what, what do I do? What do I do? I told him, I said, I don't have a whole lot of answers for you. At this point, and it's tough. It's tough. And I believe, though, what, what Paul is saying here, if I was to sum up the theme, what you see throughout this, and if you underline them like they're underlining my Bible, what Paul is saying is you have to understand the context. Again, back to what we said in verse 1 through 7, verses 1 through 7. There were these groups in the Corinthian city who were believing that, hey, now that we're believers, it was aestheticism and that, hey, we're believers, anything material, anything material is sinful. To have to deal with, to, do, to touch anything material is sinful. And they had taken that and applied that to marriage and, and to relationships within a marriage. And that's what Paul started to deal with in verses 1 through 7. He's now concerning the things about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Paul says, hey, that's good, except when it comes to marriage. And see, what they were doing is, they, they had applied that to marriage, and now these Corinthians are writing Paul a letter, and they're asking questions. And they're saying, their first question was something along the lines of this. Hey, I'm married. They're telling me that relationships with my, with my married partner are sinful because that's a material world, so we're just going to leave. We're going to divorce our spouses. We're going to, these are believers and believers, Paul deals with first. We're going to leave because we don't, they're, they're defiling us. And Paul says, absolutely, that's not true. And, and then their next question was, okay, well, what about, what about if I'm a believer and I'm married to a non-believer? Certainly, certainly that would be defiling to me as a believer. And Paul says, absolutely not. It is not. Matter of fact, God may use you to be a sanctifying agent for that non-believer. And then the third thing they wrote about in starting in verse 25 was, all right, what do I do now with my, with my, with my unwed children? Verses 25 through 38 are dealing totally with virgins who had never been married, the, the never been married crowd. What do I do with them? Paul says, hey, you got a couple options. And what we'll see here is a pattern. Paul deals with boys, with men, women, boys, girls in couplets. The first section... Is, 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 nine, is verses 8 and 9. Those are widows. Male, female, widows. The next section are believer-to-believer believer marriages. That's verses 10 through 12. The next section, or 10 and 11. The next section is believer-to-non-believer marriages. That's 12 through 16. Verses 17 through 24 are just kind of a side note where he's applying it to everyday life. Verses 25 through 38 are, are never been married. They're virgins. They're never been married. Never, never touched a man or a woman. And it's key when we're understanding this passage, don't start intermingling the groups. He deals with boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. And what Paul is going to do is, you'll, we're going to show you this, he says the ideal is this, the exception is this. The ideal is this, the exception is this. The ideal is this, the exception is this. And, and it's a pattern. And, and the interesting thing is I studied this, I, I really, I came to this, and I've been looking at this, and looking at this, and looking at this, and coming with fresh eyes. Interesting. And, and you see it in the title. The one theme that runs throughout this whole chapter that ties in well with the context, one theme, Paul says this, stay put. 
Wherever you find yourself as a believer, stay put. Stay put. Look, look at me. In verses 1 through 7, he says to the married, stay married with full conjugal rights and privileges. Is that what we saw last week? They were running away. He says, stay put. To, to those in verses 8 and 9 whose spouses have died, he says, hey, stay put. But if you marry, you haven't sinned. Why? Because you're free to that. Your spouse is dead. That releases you from the bonds of marriage. You're free. 10 and 11, you'll see it. He says, stay put. Married believer to believer, stay put. Married a believer to a married to a non-believer, he says the ideal, stay put. If they leave, you can't do anything about it. And then for virgins, for non-married boys and girls, he says, hey, the ideal would be for you to stay where you are, to have undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if you marry, go ahead, but you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. Every single one of these, he says, the ideal is to stay put. And then he gives an exception. So I, I want us to see that theme running throughout the whole chapter. And the point, the point to everything Paul says here is this. Do not be in a hurry to change your status. Do not be in a hurry to change your status. And, and we've seen this. I've seen this. People come to know the Lord and they think everything that's in their life is terrible. They've got to get out. They've got to run. They gotta, that. Don't do that. All of a sudden their spouse is no good. Their job is no good. Their home is no good. Their friends are no good. He says don't do that. Don't be in a hurry to change your status. One of the biggest challenges in our lives is being content is serving God where we are. And I, 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 I remember, you know, uh, as a married person, as a single person, singles, if you're here, don't think that, that, hey, as a married person, we're in this utopian. Marriage is good, but it's not utopia. It's a struggle. There's battles. I remember Jeff Teague one time, he was a singles pastor at, at Idlewild, and he, and he famously said this, or infamously said this, maybe some of you think. He would say, I would rather want what I don't have than not want what I do have. Well, there's a lot of truth there. And I know a lot of people that saw marriage as this utopia to get out of singleness, and now they wished it with everything they had that they were single. So Paul is saying, don't be in a hurry. I, I read this quote, Jim Shaddix, one of, the, one of the great expositors, teachers of God's Word, really uh, one of our generation. He said this, The gospel always makes radical change in your moral and spiritual life. But it doesn't always make radical change in your circumstances. Consider sanctifying your present situation before you consider changing it. A lot of truth there. See, God is changing me in the midst of a set of circumstances. He doesn't always change the circumstances. You know He changes? He changes me in the midst of those circumstances. And that's exactly what Paul is saying Consider sanctifying your present situation before you consider changing it. Don't be quick to just run. And Paul, that's really the illustration of verses 17 through 24. We're not going to go in depth there. We don't have time. But that's, the, that's an application. And again, with each of these, there's a pattern, and that's kind of how I've broken it down here. And again, know the context. There's a group of people that are infiltrating the church saying, look, to have any kind of contact with the material world is sinful. You're being defiled. And they were applying that to marriage. And that's where Paul says, you know what? There are things in this world that are defiling. But you have failed. You have erred and you have applied wrongly if you apply that to marriage. It doesn't apply to marriage. And that's where Paul is answering here. That's what he's dealing with here. 
He's not here to set a treatise or set everything straight on divorce and remarriage and all the questions that come with that. We won't solve that today. What Paul was, I want to deal as answer with the questions that Paul was, was posed to. And so with that, let's jump in. Verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9. Now hear me. Verse 8 and 9. Paul's advice to those whose spouses has di- had died was to stay put. That's the ideal. That's, that's what he would put forth. Stay put. If your spouse has died, stay put. Undivided devotion to the Lord, he says. That's, that's, that would be the ideal. And, I, and I'm going to go there because we have people in this circumstance here. Every single one of these things I address today, we have people, that, we have people here that find themselves in those circumstances. And, and Paul begins, and you look at verse 8, to the unmarried and to widows... That, is good, that it is good for them if they remain as I. It, it's, it's disputed or, or try, people try to figure out where, where was Paul? What, what circumstance did Paul find himself in? Many believe Paul's spouse had died. And, and he went on to be married. It would, have been, it would have been rare for Paul to have advanced in Judaism and as a Jew being a single male. Jews did not, they did not view singleness as an option. In that culture. And so Paul is saying, he says, to the unmarried and to the widows. And the word unmarried, here's where it can get confusing. The word unmarried there in our word, and when we read that, we think of a wide variety of reasons a man or a woman would find themselves unmarried. In Paul's day, what that word means there, it would be the equivalent of our word widower. I, I will tell you, I don't understand why we differentiate widow and widower. As a guy, widower, it makes it sound like I did something. Like, you're a widower. Like, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? I don't want to... I mean, if, if Karen were to die, I would be a widower. I, that sounds like I did something to her or something, you know? But, but in, the, in, 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 in the Greek, and that was the way that they differentiated. In the Greek, there was a word for male widow, but it was never used in the Koine period. What we see here is Koine Greek. They didn't use that word. And, and again, the pattern is Paul addresses male-female, 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 male-female. He's literally saying to the widower and to the widows, hey, it's, it's good for you to stay where you are. This, that's the counterparts. And again, the ideal, you see it on your notes, the ideal, Paul says, those who have had marriages that are dissolved through death, he says, you'll be well served to, to remain as I. And again, he has the gospel in mind. But look what he says. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better, than to, better to marry than to burn with passion. The exception is, the exception, the free exception, not you don't sin, it's not sin. The exception is, if you're not gifted, remember in, in, in verses 1 through 7, Paul said singleness was a gift. You may find yourself in a position where your spouse has died, and you don't. he says, if you don't want to remain married for the rest of your life, then get married. That's all he's saying. If, you know, if you find yourself, you know, a 30-year-old who's, I know 30-year-olds who, I know a couple one time that they were married for two months and the, the, the wife died. He's free to get remarried. Free to get remarried. So, some of you in here, uh, unfortunately, and this hits very close, found themselves in a, in, a, in a single position through the death of a spouse that you don't want to find yourself in. It's your call, Paul's saying. 
you got two options. You can, in singleness, you can devote yourself to the Lord in, in singleness now, and, and, or get married. That's, it. That's his answer to them. Get married. If you want to get married, get married. If you don't want to stay single, don't stay single. Free, your choice. But, but here's where we must be clear. And, and, and we got to be clear here. Death, in verse here, 8 and 9, death is the only totally, totally, totally agreed upon means in regards to what ends a marriage. And let me show you that. Romans 7. Romans 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Paul makes an analogy here, and it's an important analogy. He lifts marriage up to a high, high level. He says in Romans 7, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Listen, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. He say, you're free. And Paul equates that to the breaking of the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ had to die to break us free from the law of sin and death. He didn't just give us a certificate of divorce. He didn't just separate us. He had to die. And Paul equates the two. And, and, and again, a, a person whose spouse has died is totally free to do whatever they want to do. But, look down in verse 39. There's an exception. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. This, is, this verse 39 is a summary statement. Paul says a lot in verses 1 through 38, and 39 is a summary statement. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. What's the exception? Only in the Lord. You know what he says there? You better marry another believer. The only, the only thing I would say to you, if you decide to get remarried, make sure you marry another believer. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, you know, what that says believers and non-believers do not need to be yoked together. What business do light and darkness have with one another? Unequally yoked. That's our unequally yoked passage. He says, hey, so here's the deal. If your spouse dies, and, and many of us, there's of us in here have, have found ourselves in that situation, and, and I am sorry as your pastor for that, in the sense of not pity, but I, I, I ache with you and for you. Your choice. You want to get remarried? Get remarried. You want to stay single? Stay single. Freedom. Got that? That's verses 8 and 9. Verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. Now, verses 10 through 16, Paul is dealing with believers' marriages. In 10 and 11, he deals with a believer married to a believer. Okay? 10 and 11 is a believer to a believer. 12 through 16 is a believer to a non-believer. And he has to differentiate those because there's going to be different a, call, a different call here. Verses 10 and 11. But to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. And here's what verses 10 and 11 teach. As you see it on your handout. As long as your spouse is alive, believer to believer, you must assume that it is God's will for you to be married to that person. Believer to believer. A believer who is married to a believer... As long as your spouse is alive, you must assume it is God's will 
for you to be married to that person. Don't buy into the world that you married the wrong person. You, none, none of that stuff. This ain't Rachel and Leah and Rebecca and all that. You didn't know. You married the right person. The second, I, the second you said, I do, he, they may have been the wrong person. The second you said, I do, they became the right person. Make it work. Believer to believer. And again, this is a very important point. Very important point Paul makes. He, he, and he makes it very clear. What we see in verses 10 and 11, it, that is, this is the only command found in this entire chapter outside of verses 2 through 5. The only command Paul gives is in regards to a believer married to another believer. That's the only command. And look at, look at, look at the contrast. He says, but to the married I give instruction, not I, but the Lord. What Paul is saying here, I have a clear command of the Lord that I'm building this theology on. Compare that to verse 12. But to the rest I say, not the Lord. What Paul is saying there is, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think I know the Lord here, and, and this is inspired, don't diminish it. But he's saying, I know what I'm writing here is based upon a verbal command of the Lord. Believer to believer, stay married. Stay married. You see the contrast? Paul can be very bold. He's very bold with regards to verses 10 and 11. The only command found outside of verses 2 through 5. And, and hear me. Jesus came, and this is what I want us to see. Jesus came and he's given us a new option. What G, when Jesus came on the scene, what he commanded was so contrary to the culture. That culture would say, hey, we'll go one mile with you. What did Jesus do? He said, go the extra mile. That culture said, hey, we'll love those who are do good to us. Jesus said what? Love those who do bad to you. He said, hey, we'll rejoice with those who rejoice. You know what he said? He said, hey, why don't you weep with those who weep? Jesus always offers new commands. and takes it. To, and not only does he offer it, he gives us the ability to fulfill it. This isn't a white knuckle, grin and bear it. You know, I, my grandfather used to say, buck up, little camper. This ain't a pull up your bootstraps and get... God gives us the power to get her done. He's not calling us to anything that He does not give us the power to do. And, and again, what He's saying is you tie it all the way back to chapter 6. We don't operate on the freedom principle. We operate on the what's profitable principle. We don't offer on the what can I do and what does society let me do. We operate on the what is the most profitable for the gospel. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and 13, we saw that. And, and again, there's a pattern. There's a pattern. Look, in the same way that Paul offers the ideal and the exception to widows and widowers, Paul does the same thing here. The ideal is do not divorce your spouse. Believer to believer, he says don't do it. Don't divorce your spouse. The exception is this. If you do leave, you got two options. Remain single or reconcile. Remain single. He says it. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Again, believer to believer. And you see the same statement made in verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as her husband lives. And, and it seems to be it seems to be that God is, is acknowledging in some marriages, I, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I, I'm not at all, I don't really believe the Lord is saying that. If there's abuse, 
and there's harmful situations, and there are things going on, I'll be the first to tell you as your pastor, separate. I am all for redemptive separation, but I'm for redemptive separation. And I believe the Bible supports that right here, and also in verses, verse 5. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, devote yourself to prayer. The point is, step away, you know, it's like a fight. I was watching, I don't know if this is good or bad, I love to watch Rocky IV, and I only watch the part where he fights the Russian at the end. I loved, I'll watch that, I watched it last night. Sarah and Bradley were in a different room, watch, they came out, and Sarah watched come in, and she's like, this is disgusting, and she walked out. But Rocky fights uh, Ivan Drago. Guess what? At the end of each round, they go to their corner. They, they bandage their wounds. They get a drink of water. I, I'm telling you, there are some marriages where it would be better for y'all to separate, let the dust settle. You don't do well when you're arguing. But again, the point is, believer to believer, he says you have to come back together. Redemptive. Redemptive. This is not a stay in if, you're, if, if you find yourself in an abuse. This is not just stay and take it. Get out of there. But get out of there with the goal of redeeming the marriage, of reconciling the marriage. It's redemptive. And again, he gives you two options, believer to believer, marriage, singleness, or reconciliation. And listen to this. Four times in verses 10 through 13, Paul says, do not divorce. Four times with regard to a believer and a believer. Four times. He's saying, please, please, please avoid it at all costs. Avoid it. Avoid it. And again, I'm saying this in a culture, I get it. It sounds unloving, it sounds unnatural. Our, our, our initial reaction is to say, that is, that is archaic. That was in the past, it's been 2,000 years, that don't apply. Hear me. The reason why Paul does this is because, again, remember, it's a picture of the gospel. God never leaves nor forsakes. Does he separate from us? Absolutely. We have a, a, you see all throughout the Bible, he withdrew himself. It was always to draw them back. It was always to woo them back. And, and hear me, I will never, ever, ever encourage you, encourage you to leave a believing spouse. I, I'm gonna, in vulnerability here, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. If you come to me, you'll never, ever get counsel from me that tells you to divorce a believing spouse. Uh, there, and and I, I just won't. I, I, but if you do, I'll not disown you. If you do, I'll still love you. I'll work through it with you as long as there's repentance, as long as there's not pride and arrogance, because I'm dealing with, some, with a guy now who's arrogant about it, and it makes me working with him very, very difficult. Very difficult. We all make mistakes. I may not agree with you. I may not agree with what you do, what you've done. But I promise you this, I'll love you. I promise you this, I'll try my best to stay loyal to you. Because even in the midst of my sin, guess what? I serve a God who remains loyal to me. Even when He does not approve of the way that I live, He's still loyal. So please, I'm a people pleaser. My greatest fear is to hear to people to feel condemned or hated, or like I think down on you, that's not at all the message. My, my goal here is to push you to promote marriage and to try your best to make it work. And when it doesn't, we as a church are going to be here to help you pick up the pieces and walk with you as best we can. But the point Paul says here is this. The, the reason why Paul writes it, it's not to be harsh, it's to leave open the possibility for reconciliation. 
reconciliation because that best pictures the gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 on the screens. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. We are to do in marriage the very thing that Christ has done for us, not counting their trespasses against them, not holding it against them, doing everything possible. Romans 2, 4, do you not think lightly of God's kindness and tolerance, knowing that it leads you to repentance? God is kind and patient and tolerant with us. Why? Because He wants to lead us to repentance. He wants to be reconciled. And, 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 and again, don't, don't, don't run to one extreme or the other to think that you're being hated on if you've made a mistake or to become casual with marriage to the fact that I'll just do it, ask for forgiveness, and move on. Neither one, of those, neither one of those are good. Neither one of those are good. Neither one. Where sin abounds, Romans 5.20, grace much more abounds. That's true in my life, and I want it to be how I deal with other people as well and how I minister to other people's way. I don't want to take a lot of grace and then not be willing to give grace. But, but I, I will, again, I will seek to be loyal to you while maybe I don't agree with you. I will seek my best to be loyal to you and help you. But hear me, I'm going to do my best to try to get you to reconcile. Because I believe that's what the Word of God says. And I can't go beyond the Word of God. As your shepherd, I can only go where the Word of God takes me. I can't go beyond it, but I want to go as far as it goes. But what I can't do is start filling in the gaps. And we must, it, when we sin, there must be repentance. Where there is repentance, there is forgiveness. That's true in my life, and I pray that's true in your life as well and what you receive from me. So believer to believer, stay married. If you must leave, leave. Either stay single or be reconciled. That's very clear in verses 10 and 11. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. Verses 12 through 16, this is where it starts to get real muddy. It starts to get real muddy. Believers married to non-believers. That's the handout. That's what it says on the handout. And in Corinth, in Corinth hear the context. You had believers. You had individuals who were non-believers. They were becoming believers by the grace of God. And now they're going home to spouses who are not believers. And their question is this. What do I do? What do I do? Obviously, this guy or this gal, they don't care at all about the things of the Lord. They have totally op different operating system, totally against everything that I believe in, everything that I want. And their culture was telling them, leave. And here's why. Their culture was telling them because they defile you. That non-believer defiles you. They're not of God. They defile you. To, to have relations with them, it's defiling. And look what Paul says, verse 12. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, look at verse, and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. You know what that tells me, believer? If you're married to an unbeliever, you have no grounds to initiate the divorce. You should not initiate the divorce. He says it very clearly. And she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And then he goes to the woman, same pattern, man, woman, man, woman. Verse 13, and a woman who has an unbelieving husband and she consents to live with her, she, she must not send her husband away. 
You, you are to, to assume, believer, you are to assume that God is going to work in that marriage and do some things so long as your spouse is content to continue on. As long as they're content to move on and willing, Paul says, do not initiate the divorce. And, and Paul continues in this whole section, the same pattern, ideal exception, ideal exception. The ideal is that the non-believer would be changed through the life of the believer. Look, look, at verse, look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Even the children there receive blessings. Look at verse 16. For how do you know, O wife, whether you'll save her husband? You see the whole point of staying? It's that your spouse may be saved. The whole point of staying in there and sticking it out by the grace of God, is the salvation of your spouse. It's not your happiness. It's not anything else. It's, it's the grace of God in leading them to salvation. Look, look with me at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Listen to this. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word... They may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Wives, do you know how to change your husband? I'm just going to let you give an insight. This is free. I'm going to give some, this is free insight. The best way for Karen to change me is not by nagging me. It's not by browbeating me. It's not by getting in my face over and over and over again. Best way for Karen to change me is Karen being a godly wife. Romans 12 says this, In doing so, you will heap coals upon the other person's head. You know what? If I'm disobedient and she sits there and is obedient and is loving and honoring the Lord, that's a dagger in my heart. God uses that to change me. Again, and again, in 1 Peter 3, the, it says, in the same way. Well, in verse 7, it says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. What's the in the same way? Later on, go back to verse 21 of chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. And he says, you do the same. But again, there's an exception here. There's an exception. Verse 15. Again, if the unbelieving will consent to live with you, you're bound. Verse 15, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. If, if, if the unbeliever chooses to leave in spite of your kindness, in spite of your godly behavior, then you are not bound to make them stay. That's what Paul says. You can't make them stay. I, I can't do... If Karen... The way the state of Florida is, and I, I, let's say me, Karen, she's way godlier than I am. She, she puts up with a whole bunch of stuff. If I just woke up one morning and said, I'm done, I'm out, I could go down to the courthouse, I can file my paperwork, and I can walk. She has no recourse. She can't do anything about it. Same in Paul's day. Hey, if they want to leave, and they're bent on leaving, can't do nothing about it. Let them leave. Fighting with them, doing all this other stuff, that ain't going to help reconciliation. Let them leave. Let them leave. And the natural question, 
from verse 15 is this. What are my options then? If I'm married, and again, keep this in the context. This isn't believer leaving believer. This is a non-believer leaving a believer. This isn't the believer leaving the non-believer. The context is the non-believing one is the one leaving. What are the options for the believer? And, and again, this is where there's disagreement. This is where disagreement occurs. The, the natural question becomes, okay, suppose I'm a believer and my non-believing spouse leaves me, what are my options? And by the grace of God, all I can tell you is I don't know. Because the scripture doesn't tell me. Does, I don't know. Paul's quiet on it. And my habit is where the scriptures are quiet, I want to be quiet. Because as a shepherd, I don't want to take you anywhere that the word of God does not allow me to take you. I don't want to walk you into sin. I don't want to invite you into sin. What might be sin? I can't tell you it's sin or not sin. I can't tell you to get remarried or not get remarried. It doesn't, it doesn't say it. I can tell you that it seems that the Spirit, and that's why I showed you the Spirit of Paul in writing this, is stay put. That I do know you're okay with. Stay put. Pray for reconciliation. But if you want to get remarried, that's your call. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to disagree. I, I, I can't go there. I will warn you as your shepherd, you're walking into uncharted waters. You're, you're going where you cannot, be, you cannot look to verse and chapter and say, this is why I'm doing this. Can't do it. I, I, so as your shepherd, I just caution you is all I can do there. Is caution you. And again, the, the concern for Paul is this. Don't change your status. And the theme, here's, my, here's, here's what I'm, I'm convicted, just the, where I have so much tur- just struggle because I want, I'm such a people pleaser, I want to say, oh yeah, do this. I want to say, this will make you happy. I want to. Hear me, I want to. But this is what I, this is what I learned when, as I read this chapter. Even where Paul allows, I said every time Paul's going to give an exception. Even where Paul allows for a change to take place, the widow, widower, he says, hey, if you want to get remarried, you can. Unmarried, if you want to get married, you can. Believer to believer, if they divorce you, eh, okay, but try to reconcile. Even where Paul allows a change to take place, in this chapter, he never allows for a change of partner. Never does it. There's a, there's a word of caution there for us. You never in this chapter see Paul endorsing an exchange of partners. A partner may die and you get a new one. You may be a virgin and you take on a husband for the, or wife for the first time. Never in here does Paul explicitly say or does he explicitly illustrate the exchange of a partner. And all I can say to that is be careful. Be careful. Be very careful. I don't have the authority to say you're sinning or not sinning. I do as your shepherd and out of love for you would say just like anything else, be careful. If you're going somewhere that Scripture doesn't explicitly take you, be careful. But I will tell you, the predominant view is, the predominant conclusion here is, What I'm saying to you, I will admit on the front end, there are not a whole lot of people parked where I'm parked. That that makes me nervous in some sense. 
But the conclusion here, the conclusion based on 15 that you can, if this happens to you, that you can remarry, that is an assumed conclusion. And I say assumed only because you can't point to chapter verse. You can't do it. That's all I'm saying. Proceed with caution. And if you choose to get remarried, what I, would, I will tell you this. I will do everything in my power to make sure you have a godly marriage. I'll do everything in my power to make sure it doesn't happen again. And that would be my advice to you. If you choose to go there, my loyalty to you will remain. But just don't be casual about it. Be serious. Seriously consider what you're doing. Before you ever walk away from your spouse, seriously consider. And the, the, the one thing we can all be sure on is this. Make your current marriage work. Make your current marriage work. Seek to make your current marriage. We serve a... We, and, and some of you may be sitting here thinking, okay, what if I've done that already? You know what? You may not have sinned. You may have sinned. We serve a redemptive God who is loyal in spite of our sin. That's the good news. He's loyal to me in spite of my sin. He's going to be loyal to you in spite of your sin. That's not a license to sin. It's just a truth about the greatness of the God that we serve. We serve a phenomenal God. And, and He is loyal in the midst of my sin. And He's loyal in the midst of your sin. That's not a license to sin. But it's just, again, a testimony of a great God. I do not ever want to, as a shepherd... As much of a people pleaser as I am and as much as I love you and as much as I look forward, the highlight of my weeks are Wednesdays and Sundays and seeing you. But I can't be shy about warning you about possible sin with the fear that you might not like me. With the fear that you might run somewhere else. My job as your shepherd is to go as far as this Bible takes me and no further. But to go as far as it takes me. If the Bible takes me here, it's not to stop here because I want to please you and I want to tickle your ears. i got to go as far as the Word of God takes me. And that may be hard. That may be, trust me, I don't have a whole lot of hairs to be fooling around with these days, and this one has caused me to loosen up my grip on a lot of the ones that I have left. Because I, don't, I want to be sure. I sent this thing out and said, read this. There's grace. Not to be abused. But I don't want anyone in here to walk away and think that, oh, I remarried, my new marriage is a waste. Oh, I remarried and my new marriage is, a, is condemned. Not true. Not at all true. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Hear me say that. And, and, and many of my friends have divorced and remarried. Would I have done that? I don't know. They chose to do that. I don't think in any way, shape, or form it changed my loyalty to them. My job is now to make sure it doesn't happen again. My prayer for you and my prayer for them is the same. Don't let it happen again. Don't let it happen again. So, believer to, non, believer, to believer, believer to non-believer. Verse 25 to 38, that's the third, the third category. We're going to try to get done here. I'm, 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 I'm really trying. Paul's advice to those who've never been married is to stay put. Paul's advice to those who have never been married is to stay put. And again, this is in a context. Hear me. Verse 25 through 38 are dealing with boys and girls who have never been married. Don't mingle married people in here or all these other things, please, because you will confuse the issue. And I, I see it a lot. Paul makes three distinct arguments here. 
25 through 38 is all about people who have never been married. And again, verse 25, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. And it's the same thing we saw with widow and widower. Man here is a virgin man. Virgin is a girl. That's the distinguishing make that Paul makes here in this chapter. And, and again, Paul's got a dilemma because he's speaking to an audience that has Jews and Gentiles alike. A, guy, a, a man is sitting there saying, well, Paul, what if I'm betrothed to a woman? What do I do? He says, don't seek to be released. Well, what if I'm not betrothed? Then don't seek to be betrothed. Hey, what, you can see the dilemma if a, if a guy is thinking, hold on, couldn't you have waited about six months to say this? I'm engaged. Couldn't you have held off and I'm engaged, I'm about to get married, and here you are talking about all, I'm better to stay single? You know what Paul says? Are you, are, you, are you bound to a wife? Are you betrothed to a wife? Don't be released. Are you released? Don't seek them. But if you marry, you have not sinned, and a virgin marries, she's not sinned. It's your call. And, and hear me, we as a church, if you're here and you're single, for whatever reason, I, I will say forgive me on behalf of churches because we have fallen prey to treating singleness as if it was a subservient way to live your life. And on behalf of the church whole, I, I will say forgive me. Forgive us. We, we, have, we have rejected the legitimacy of singleness to our own hurt. And I am certain that we have put pressure because of that on people to get married when, when they probably shouldn't have. They're running to marriage because they don't want to feel like a lesser individual and they're settling. And, and suddenly or not so suddenly, we, we have passed on the conviction that if you're a single person past the age of 25 or 30, there's something wrong with you. And that could not be the furthest I pray from the truth. I pray that we're not a church where you hear things like, aren't you married yet? Why aren't, why aren't you married yet? Well, don't, you, don't you want to get married? I mean, the pro, we, we, books, articles, I, I see them flying off the shelf that say this. If you'll commit yourself to Christ, God will give you a marriage partner. I'm looking. I ain't found that one yet. I just haven't found it. Quite frankly, I see Proverbs 18.22 that says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. But it doesn't say all this. We, we talked about myths in marriage on Friday. God has one person out there for me, and i got to find that one right person. Well, think about the foolishness of that. What if John Cordova married the wrong person? What if God meant for me to marry Alicia? John Cordova has just messed up the entire universe by marrying the wrong person. Because then I marry the wrong person, and the next person I married who Jeff should have married, and Anthony marries who Tom should have married, and pa Peter marries. It's crazy. There's no one person out there. there. Ain't no one person out there waiting that you got to find. That looks cool in the movies. It's just not. The problem is God never said that. And, and, and we need to accept the legitimacy of singleness. The reality is, from the standpoint of the gospel, Paul says that singleness is the best way for all y'all to stay. Why? Because you have undistracted devotion to the Lord. And ultimately, that's been my whole point, chapter 6 and chapter 7. What, what is the best way to, for me to live my life in relation to the gospel? 
You, you call me and you ask me to go do a trip to Malia? As a married man, I got a wife to think about. I got kids to think about. I'm scared to death that I'm going to die. I'm scared to death that I'm... The whole time I'm away, hear me, and I'll just be honest with you. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see my kids get married. I want to see... But if they don't get married, you'll never hear me in my house talk about that. Wherever you find yourself, Bradley, Sarah, glorify the Lord. You want to say your whole life single? Hey, as much as mommy and daddy might want, want to have grandkids, if that's what God's called you to, He owns you, I don't own you. You do what God's called you to do. And what Paul says here, again, the same pattern. The ideal is this, if you're a virgin, remain a virgin. The exception is this, if you want to get married, get married. I wanted to get married. I got married. Thankfully, Karen wanted to get married. We got married. There are days where she might question that. But to the, by the grace of God, she puts up with me. And the reason Paul says this is, is look. Look at um, verse 34. The reason why singleness is a legitimate option is this. The man who's, look, the one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about, how the thing, about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman, listen, the contrast is this. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. You see the divided interests? I, I get asked to do things all the time. I've got to balance serving this body serving the bride of Christ, and serving Chris's bride. I got divided interests. And, and hear me this. If you're single in here, and, and you've done some things that you shouldn't have done, if you've not kept yourself for your spouse like you wish you would have, in the same way I said there was grace to a married person, there's grace to you. You're, you're, not, you're not damaged goods. You're not beyond God redeeming. There's grace there for that. Here's what I would tell you. Start today. If you've not protected yourself, if you've not kept yourself, start today. It's never too late to start. Start today. Start today. Get some, get some men or women around you that can help you, who can help you fight that battle. You won't beat Satan on your own. Admit it to some people. Get some people around you. That's why we exist as a church. And, and here's, my here's, my, here's my conclusion. I, we talked about a new option and not doing what we could and couldn't do and what we should and shouldn't do and all this stuff. God in His grace gives us a perfect illustration of this in Matthew 1, 18 and 20. And turn there as we close. Matthew 1, 18 and 20. Joseph and Mary are betrothed. In that culture, it was like our engagement. It was only infinitely more, uh, more definite. They were married. To end a betrothal, you had to get a certificate of a divorce. That's how solid it was. Okay? You can imagine yourself, Mary and Joseph betrothed. And, and, and Mary turns up pregnant. If you're Joseph... Let me tell you what society told you to do. Not only divorce her, but you could stone her if you want. That's how humiliating that would have been. 
See, this wasn't a could you divorce her. The society Joseph found himself in would have told him, you're a fool if you don't divorce her. And we live in a world today where husband and spouse, if our spouses do things to us out of sin and we stick in there and try to work through it, you know what your friends are going to tell you and the world's going to tell you? You're a fool for putting up with him. You're a fool for sticking it out. Go find somebody else. But God's grace gives us a new option. And, and, and not only that, it's interesting, it says Joseph, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Listen to me. There's so many illustrations here and so many lessons. If, you, if you're struggling with your marriage, if your spouse has done things to you that, that are all... Keep it a secret. Get, get, get some, maybe some men or women around you that you love and trust, but please don't run around telling all your stuff and degrading your husband. Don't run around telling how bad your wife is and this and that. All you're doing there is you're hindering reconciliation. I, I, I walk around and I help people. I'm, I'm dealing with people that I'm not even, we're not even dealing with the thing that caused them to separate to begin with. Now we're dealing with all the junk that they said about their spouse and how terrible they were. And we, we could have solved that long ago. And they could have been reconciled. But now they badmouthed them and trashed them and threw their stuff all over. Keep it secret. Take it to the Lord. Keep the circle as tight as possible. Joseph, not want, being a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her. If you find yourself going through a divorce, don't try to disgrace your spouse. Don't tell everybody about how sorry they are and all that. Why? Because you're hindering reconciliation. You're further destroying the possibility of reconciliation. You let the Lord deal with that. And you say, well, Joseph, that was a different situation. Joseph did all that long before the angel told him what was going on. And listen to me, just because the Lord tells me, hey, that baby Karen's carrying is for me, don't think that makes it any easier. Try walking around Lutz or Land Lakes or Odessa. Hey, you know what? She didn't fool around. That's God's baby. Okay. Okay, big boy. That wasn't easy. But Joseph, God came to Joseph and gave him a whole new option. And that's what I'm telling you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and through Christ dying on the cross, God has come to us and given us a new option. And it's this, stick it out to the glory of God. In the world's eyes, we got no business staying with our spouses. And in God's eyes, He says, I get great glory in that. And I get great glory in taking circumstances and situations that are all mangled up and through repentance and through a deep-seated pursuit of me, I can turn it into good.